As you're seated, please open the Bible, the Word of God, to Genesis chapter 29. And uh, we have two, two chapters to cover this morning together. Lord willing, we'll get through them, as long as you can listen fast enough. <laughs> 78 verses. Why are we going to try to do all of that in one? Well, it really fits together. They belong together, all of these verses. Uh, we know that the chapter breaks are not inspired. They're there to help us. I mean, if you can imagine us trying to say, hey, let's talk about the story of uh, Jacob and Esau. If you'll find that in Genesis about halfway through and, uh, you know, a little bit more than halfway and before this happens, this is a whole lot easier with the chapter and verse uh, breaks. Uh, but they're not inspired. They're there to just help us find what we're looking for. So um, we're going to cover, Lord willing, both of these chapters. And, and we're going to see lessons for the life of a believer in the subtle method of a story, story of Jacob and his life continuing on. Now, the big picture of the Bible, the, the big picture of the whole Bible continues to be God's ultimate plan to bring the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the serpent head crusher, the one who will come and, and crush the head of the serpent and, and redeem mankind, conquer sin, conquer the curse of sin becoming, by becoming sin for us, by becoming the, a curse for us on the cross. He's, gonna, he's going to die and conquer death by rising from the dead. And so the big picture of the Bible is important to remember. This is all part of how God's going to be bringing about the Messiah to redeem sinful men and women to himself. But then the big picture of Genesis is helpful for us to remember because that continues to be how God's bringing about the people of Israel who will bring about physically the Messiah. So we've understood that God's created everything. He created it all very good. Mankind rebelled against Him. He, we brought into this world sin and illness and death. And, and we've seen that God really doesn't appreciate sin. In fact, He hates sin. We saw it in the flood, yet we also saw His grace and His mercy to save people from their sins and the consequences. We've seen His mercy and His grace toward mankind who continues to sin. Right? Mankind didn't stop sinning after the flood. It just continued on, and yet He's good. He's gracious. He's merciful. As Romans 2, 4 says, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, His goodness and kindness. And so, there's a really big picture, the Messiah who's coming. There's, there's the big picture of the people that will bring forth the Messiah. But right now, we're just looking at the life of one man, one man, Jacob. And his life has been wrecked by sin, his own sin. He's broken his relationship with his brother permanently through manipulation, through deceit. We've seen that. And they're going to reunite in the future here, and, and it's going to be pleasant and respectful, but there's never going to be a relationship between those brothers ever again. He, he apparently never sees his mother again. He doesn't know if his father is ever going to be able to trust him, and he apparently has no friends. This man, Jacob, has wrecked his life with his sin. In fact, we saw him last week. He was out in the middle of nowhere, all alone, running away from his brother's revenge, he was, trying to, he, he, was, he was on the run trying to hope that he could find a wife based on who his parents are and what they were going to give him when, it, when they die. <laughs> That's the hope that he, that he has, and he's out in the middle of nowhere. And maybe this sounds a little bit familiar for you, not the details, not, not every one of those details, but the pattern. You notice broken relationships, isolation, a life wrecked by sin. Maybe you've got all the reasons lined up for why. 
you know, circumstances. Well, it was a couple bad choices. It was, it was my upbringing because this person did that or that person didn't do this or, you know, you've got all of the excuses or reasons for why my life has turned out the way that it has, but you've got this sin that has wrecked your life and there's no hope in what the world offers for fixing this wrecked life because of sin, but there is hope in this Creator God. This God who is righteous and holy and who judges sin, yet who is the only one who can forgive sin because of His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you will humble yourself before Him, turning away from sin, turning to Jesus in faith, in in belief and trust, He will forgive your sin. He will make you new inside and give you hope and faith. Jacob encountered this God as we saw last week. He knew his condition of sin. He saw the consequences of sin, just the beginnings of them. He didn't even see the death that sin brings yet. But God was gracious to him. It was an amazing account of how God encountered him because of God's own kindness. And Jacob responded, rather than taking advantage of it, starting over again with the cheating, he committed his life to God. He gave himself to God, and if you have not committed your life to God through his Son, Jesus Christ, we want to talk with you this morning. Find one of us pastors after the service. Go back to the information counter. Talk to our greeters. Find somebody who will tell you about this Jesus. And if you're nervous that somebody might come to you, then again, we invite you to the Share Jesus Without Fear class next Sunday. (laughs) But um, we would love to bring you to him because He's come to us. Let's pray for our time in the Word together this morning as we approach these chapters. Father, we know that You alone are worthy, and God, we are so unworthy, Lord, to receive Your grace, Your mercy, Your love, yet Jesus was worthy, and He is worthy. God, we pray that You would uh, open our minds and hearts, Lord, to receive Him as our Lord and Savior. God, for those of us who have done that, who have turned away from sin to Jesus in faith, God, we pray that these words would edify, build up our faith, God, and that we would live a life devoted and committed to You. In the name of Your Son, Jesus, amen. Well, what we're going to do, because we have so many verses to cover this morning, is is we're going to just read sections at a time, discuss them as we go, uh, break it into sections. We've got three sections to to look at, Um, and at the end of each section, we'll have a lesson, uh, something for us to remember, and uh, stick with us till the end. Lord willing, we'll be able to get it all done. The first section that we're going to look at, verses 1 through 30 of chapter 29 in Genesis, is that uh, we're going to see Jacob reaps payback. Jacob reaps some payback in these verses, and, and, and this section has two parts. The first one is that Jacob meets Rachel and Laban in verses 1 through 14. Jacob meets Rachel and Laban. Verse 1, then Jacob went on his journey, and we're going to stop there for just a second, <laughs> and we're not going to do this for every verse, but we did want to look at this for just one second because the literal reading of went on his journey is he picked up his feet. J- Jacob was excited. Jacob was, was, he was happy, he was, he was blessed by this encounter that he had just had with God. And so he's not just walking, he's not just stumbling along, he's picking up his feet and he's going. He's happy, he's excited, he's on his way. The next 450 mile uh, journey just fades away into the background, it's not even important, he gets there. Uh, he, Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. <clears throat> 
For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So this was a large stone. It would have, take two, would have taken two to three men to move it, working together. And, and it's a protective uh, barrier over the water because water is precious in the middle of the wilderness. Uh, so it would have protected it from thieves and maybe from animals polluting it. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, My brothers, he was a shepherd back home. He's speaking to shepherds now who are distantly related to him. He says, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is, is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now, this isn't a coincidence, as we saw before with Abraham's servant when he came the 450 miles to the right place, the right town, to the right family before because of God's chesed, His steadfast love. It's no accident, it's no coincidence or mistake that Jacob now comes to the same place. Verse 7, he, it's Jacob, said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. He says, look, if that's Rachel coming, I've got business to attend to here. Why don't you guys get the water for the sheep and get gone? Get on with your work, right? Get, get back to work instead of sitting around here all day. But they said in verse 8, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Obviously, Jacob, you're not from around these parts. That's not how we do things. We've always done it this way. <laughs> this is important. So they're having this conversation, verse 9, while he was still speaking with them. Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Wow. That was quite an amazing feat of strength there that takes two to three men to do. Jacob does it by himself. He says, well, Rachel's here. And later on, we'll find out that Laban really didn't have very much. At this point, when, when Jacob meets him, he, he doesn't have a lot, so he's probably standing there going, look, I don't know how much longer we're going to have to wait, but I can't wait all day long. Let's get this show going. So he moves the stone, they water the sheep so they could get going. Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Now, we need to make sure we don't read 21st century ideas into this verse. This, this is, you know, sometimes you might get the idea of the, the end of the movie, you know, climax kiss that just, oh, there it was, you know, the music swells, and, and, and that's not what's happening here. This is, this is not a kiss on the lips. It's a, it's a way that people greeted people, especially family. And so we, he's, he's in the right place. So far, God's Word has proven true because he's gotten there. He's met them. And so, uh, that's what he explains in verse 12, because he begins to weep as, as he kisses her. He's just so excited about what God has done. Verse 12, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. You can imagine Laban probably said, look, if you ever find anybody from Abraham's side of the family, you better come get me quickly, <laughs> because last time his sister left with them, and, and she's never come back, right? Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him. There it is again, just greeting family, and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. Now, there's some question. What does that mean, all these things? Did, did Jacob tell him all about how he deceived his brother, how, how he took the birthright, how he took his blessing, how he's on the run from his revenge? Did he just tell him about the blessing or just the trip? 
It'd be hard to believe that he didn't tell him the whole story because Laban was there last time when the servant came with the whole caravan of camels and, and, and gold and clothes and all that stuff, and Jacob's here all alone. He's, he's, he had to have told him the entire story, the reason that he's here alone. He, he must have told him everything because look at verse 14. Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. He says, that's totally something I would have done. <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of the idea we get from this, right? He's oh man, you've got to be related to me. That's something I would have done, and he will do, won't he? As we read this, as we continue, Jacob stayed a month. So that's the first part of the first section. The next part in our notes is that Laban and Jacob make a deal. They make a deal, but Laban breaks the deal. Verses 15 to 30. Right away, Jacob had started working, and he's been there a whole month. He had been a shepherd. Laban has a flock. Hey, that works out pretty well. I know what to do. And it doesn't hurt that to this point, Laban's chief shepherd, the shepherdess Rachel, is not difficult to look at, right? Verse 15, Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, we might think, wow, that's a pretty stand-up thing to do, Laban. You know, that's a good idea. Let's pay this man for the work, the good work that he's doing. But as we learn more about Laban's character, we're, prob- we're going to understand that this is, this is probably not really in Jacob's best interest in Laban's mind. This is in Laban's mind in Laban's best interest, Right? Not only is that, is is, is that going to be on the table, but this is going to fundamentally change the relationship. It's not going to be Jacob and Laban, the relatives. It's going to be Laban, the boss, over Jacob, the worker. And so this is really going to work out well for Laban. Verse 16, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, this word weak can mean delicate or soft or gentle, um, it's, it's a little difficult to understand. What, you know, what does that mean in relation to her eyes? What, what are we looking at here? But, but the contrast with Rachel makes it easier for us to understand what he's talking about. Rachel was appealing to the eyes. Leah's eyes were weak. Uh, it must mean something like, if we can speak more crassly, in crass terms, Rachel was hot while Leah was not. Right? <laughs> But there's not any real problem with Leah. There's nothing wrong with Leah. The problem is in Jacob's heart as he looks on the outside as man sees and he desires what his heart wants, the seed of his desires and passions. That's what Jacob is is thinking with and acting on right now. Look at verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. This This is a general word for love. It can mean pure, true love or it can mean desire. And, and just uh, physical passion. It, the idea that we get here is that, like, this is love at first sight, right? I mean, he's, he's seen her from the beginning. He, he said, here are my wages, Laban. I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Seven years. What was, what was supposed to happen at this time was if you wanted to, to marry a young lady, you went to her father and you paid a bride price. You'd say, look, I am able to support myself and her. Here is a gift. Here's a price that, that I believe she's worth. And he doesn't have a penny. He doesn't have anything. So he says, I'm going to work it off over the course of seven years. That's how much she's worth to him. Verse 19, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So you see, Jacob is working for Rachel, 
Laban has promised her, but he didn't define in these terms who the her is. Seven years passed quickly. It seems like only a few days. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. The marriage was legal before. It was on hold until I could pay the bride price. I've now completed the seven years. It's time for the marriage to become a reality. Let's do this. Verse 22, so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Like what you've done, Jacob. Complete the week of this one, the week-long wedding, at least finish that up, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. After the feast, it's dark. There's no electricity. Leah came in with a veil. It's not difficult to understand that this would be hard to recognize. It's probable also that Jacob may have been drunk. He's understandably angry in the morning when he sees it's Leah instead of Rachel. How could you do this to me? He's getting some payback, isn't he? Uh, just like when Jacob deceived his father and won the blessing, there's now nothing that can be done to undo it. Sort of how Isaac and Esau may have felt, Jacob. There's nothing that can be undone. And the excuse that Laban gives is, it's not so done here in our country. It's a little bit stronger than just, well, it's just not the way we do things. This is, you're breaking serious rules. That's what Laban says to Jacob uh, this, this, is ser- this isn't talking on your cell phone with, speaker, you know, with your speaker on <laughs> in, in the grocery store. I mean, that's not great, but this was well worse than that. <laughs> he says, it was never going to happen. And nobody's arguing with the custom itself. It was the timing of it, right? I mean, if he had told Jacob that ahead of time, maybe there, you know, something could have been done, but he's just justifying what he has done. The truth is, this was a consequence of sin. Jacob the younger had deceived, had tricked his father, and had taken the place of the firstborn. And so now, Laban has just deceived and tricked his way into the firstborn, replacing the younger, reversing it back where it should be in his mind. Where would Laban even have come up with an idea like this? Probably verse 13, when Jacob told him his whole story. (laughs) He said, oh, that gives me a good idea. Surely you must be my bone and my flesh. I would do the same thing. In fact, I just did. A part of the twist of this is that it was done in front of so many people. Laban had called everybody around for this feast, and so you don't really have a lot of options for your anger to vent any of that. Uh, And he had to have picked up on the idea that this really was payback to him for what he had done. But more than just a, a simple layer or level of payback, Jacob must have understood that this was part of God's discipline in his life. Often God uses, he, he uses circumstances and events like this to discipline His people, to show them that there was sin in your life and you've committed these sins and you've walked away from them and, and you've not confessed those sins, you've not repented of those sins, um, they need to be dealt with. Sin cannot just be swept under the rug, it can't just be ignored and, and have it go away. And so He will bring events, circumstances, sickness into our life for us to experience the the suffering of the consequences of sin that has not been dealt with, has not been confessed or repented of. 
And God does that in Jacob's life. We see that's, what happened. that's what's happening here. We know that everything that happens, happens as part of God's will. We've talked about that in the last few weeks, God's decreed will. We don't know what it is, but it will always happen. This happened, and it was part of God's work in Jacob's life. Now, we also, have to, we also have to recognize that Leah must have been complicit in this. She had to be part of this conspiracy here, right? Everybody knew that Jacob was head over heels for Rachel. <laughs> but apparently, both she and her father Laban thought there was no way for her to get married unless they tricked somebody with some kind of deceit. So she went along with it. Verse 28, Jacob did so, completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Another wedding, everybody. You know, we just had one for seven days. Stay here. We got another wedding here. Let's do it for seven days. Verse 29, Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and here's the key for us. He loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. We see sins of the family being repeated all over again. Jacob playing favorites. Uh, He's got two wives. He shouldn't have two wives, but it wasn't his intention to have two wives. But now he's got a favorite and a less favorite. And we might think, well, you know, Jacob, maybe you should have just gotten rid of Leah. But the problem is that it was really kind of a gracious thing to keep Leah because if she didn't think she could get married before, now that she has been married, if she were to be cast off, there really would be no way for her to find a husband at that point, and she'd be stuck in her father's home for the rest of her life. It would be really impossible. So Jacob has these two wives, and, and this is how it happened. It wasn't his, his intention, but he ends up, verse 31 says, hating Leah. Loved Rachel. He hated Leah. Interesting to note that Jacob gets Rachel right up front here, rather than having to wait for the seven years to be completed. And that means that Laban had to trust Jacob. He had to trust him that he wasn't just going to take off when he got Rachel, and Jacob turns out to be trustworthy. He stays for the whole seven years, even though he's got Rachel now, and he fulfills his end of the bargain that Laban, the deal that Laban had broken. So that's the end of the first section, and we just want to take a minute to reflect on this and talk about the lesson. We've got two lessons in in this section here, this first section, and the first one is going to sound a little funny to us, but Christian, don't be speedy to believe everything. Don't be speedy just to believe everything. You know, we are different from within. God has given us a new, uh, we are, He has made us a new creation. We have a new mind, a new heart, a new nature that, that loves God, that desires to be with God. And, and so we begin to think differently. We think, you know, I, sh- I want to pray, even if we're not praying very much. We're not praying very well. We have this desire, I should be praying. We have this desire to share the gospel with the people around us. And, and we're not doing a very good job. We get fearful, but we have this desire. And, and sometimes we, we step out in faith and we have courage and, and God. God blesses the, the opportunities that we take advantage of, but, but we have a different way of thinking. But just because we think differently doesn't mean that the rest of the world is thinking differently like we are. In all of life, we need to be growing in wisdom, the opposite of being naive, right? That's another word for being speedy to believe anything and everything. Proverbs 14 says, the simple believes everything. 
but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So, brothers and sisters, one of the recurring problems with with, uh, people who profess Christ today, especially in our culture here in the West, is that we easily fall for scams. We easily fall for conspiracy theories and for lies and for rumors. And, And brothers and sisters, we have wisdom from God, and we have the ultimate and the only true source of wisdom in God, God only wise. We need to be asking Him and going to Him for wisdom. In terms of biblical teaching and and false teachers, Romans 16 says we're supposed to be avoiding them, not listening to them. Romans 16, 18 says, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to believe just anything you hear. That That includes from right here, right now. Don't believe anything that I tell you unless it's right here and you can find it here or it's a principle that's clear in the Scriptures, not not necessarily everything spelled out, but we're to be the Bereans that uh, that Luke talks about in Acts, that, that constantly going back to the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Jacob has fallen for this deceit, this scam, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, Hebrews 5, verses 11 to 14, you have these in your notes. They teach us that we are to be growing in discernment through the Word of God and through practicing, uh, through getting into the habit of doing this, not, not speedy to believe just anything that comes along. It extends even to God's promises. God has made us very great and very precious promises, but it doesn't mean they're going to come easily, does it? He never promised us that, the, that everything that He's going to give us is just going to just plop down in our laps. <laughs> every morning, it's just going to plop down. Every morning, His mercies are new. Every morning, his, his faithfulness is seen, but there are no shortcuts. Be wise, and the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Be growing in that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We need to be wise. We need to be growing in wisdom. So don't be speedy just to believe everything. The next lesson is that the Lord disciplines whom He loves. And you see that in your notes, the Lord disciplines whom He loves. Hebrews 12 teaches us this, that we see this here. You know, this wasn't karma. This wasn't what goes around comes around. You know, that's not the way it worked. This was God's work to discipline His Son. God does that in the lives of His people, His, His sons and His daughters. And you see how Jacob was struck, just how unfair this was, how cruel it was. (laughs) That's because sometimes we don't understand how cruel we've been, how how, uh, mean we've been, and and the trouble that we've inflicted upon others. So God will show us um, through discipline what it would feel like. Verse 10 of Hebrews 12 says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that means, brother and sister, even when you notice that that you've got some difficulty, some suffering in your life, and and you recognize that, you know, Lord, there's some unconfessed sin, there's some sin that I haven't dealt with, that I haven't brought before you, there's joy in that because we know that we can bring it to the God of forgiveness, the God of goodness, the God of mercy, the God of love, the God who forgives. We can bring it to Him, and He hasn't given up on us. Have you thought about that? Like, this is such a good thing when I'm disciplined by God, because when He stops disciplining me for sin, well, that's when I've really got to be worried, right? When He just gives me over to sin, well, that's when I've got a really big problem. Romans 1 talks 
about that. So find joy, even in the discipline of God when you're, when you're suffering, when you're sick, when you're, when you're under the weather, when you're, when you're just down and depressed thinking about these things that, that are happening and things that aren't happening, but you recognize there's some sin. Be, be filled with joy and hope because of the promises we have that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our hope, even in discipline, is that God loves us, and the proof of that is Jesus. The proof of His love to us is our Savior Jesus. And the further proof of that is not cell phones ringing, but the further proof that God loves us is Jesus. The further proof of of, of that is that He's making us more like Jesus. We can see His work. We can see Him using difficulty, even really tough, difficult, painful times, to make us more like Jesus. And that glorifies Him. That should edify us and bring us hope and joy. Now, we have quickly gone through section one. <laughs> and we have just barely begun to scratch the surface here. Um, and we have about seven and a half minutes. So, you weren't listening fast enough. I told you you had to listen <laughs> quickly. No, this wasn't your fault at all. This was, uh, this was what God desired for us this morning, to go through the first, the first section here together and, and to, to really consider these things. And Lord willing, uh, we'll pick this up again next week, um, unless He returns before then. Uh, grow in wisdom. Go, grow in wisdom. Trust the Lord for wisdom. He is the source of wisdom. Um, there, there's so much more for us to discuss, but I think... Um, that's enough for this week, and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, this week in different times, koinonia groups, uh, student ministries, everything that God has for us, His people, as we come together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what a joy it is to be with Your people, God, to be in Your house as we come together, Lord. We know that You are here. You're present among us, because, God, You're everywhere. Father, You are the big, eternal all-powerful, all-knowing God. Father, we, we worship You. God, so often we, we live as if we don't know who You are. Lord, we forget all that You are. And God, it is to our detriment, Lord. It, it, it weakens us. It opens us up, Lord, for, for the attacks from our flesh, from the world, from Satan even, Lord. Feeding us lies, God, that, that we're not forgiven. God, that we can't be forgiven. Lord, we find hope in your word, God. We find the promises that you have said to us, that it is your will for all men, all women, all people to be saved. God, that's your declared will. God, we, we pray, Lord, that that would be true of every person in this room. We pray that that would be true of every person that listens or watches this service online. God, we pray that that would be true of the people that live around us, that they would see and hear from us the powerful love and grace of Jesus Christ within us, Lord, as they hear us speaking, as they see us living. God, we pray for wisdom from you. Lord, that we would not just fall for anything. Lord, that we would stand on your word. God, that we would trust fully and completely and that we would fear you. Lord, that we would have wisdom that we would believe that you give it because, God, you give generously without reproach. God, what a, what a good and faithful God you are. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you. And, God, this week we pray for more wisdom, Lord, that we don't deserve but that we need so that you can be glorified, that we can be edified, that others can be discipled. We praise you for Jesus in his name.